Today is Mother's Day. It's a day again that we recommit, even as a church, to do the journey along with each other. Because not only, well, is being a mom hard at times, just life is a struggle at times. We are so glad you're here. We do all come with a little bit mixed emotions. We think of mom. And when we think of mom, different pictures come to mind. But we want to rejoice, especially with those who've had amazing moms. You know why? I'm not saying this is right, but the statistics show that we really rely heavily on moms for the spiritual formation of our children. That's probably something you already know. But there's a stat I'd like to show you, if you could. Uh, Let's see that next slide. It's really hard to see. But I I got this out of the latest Christianity today. And on the very top, it says, Whose faith has influenced you? Among practicing Christians, just about 70% of the people who responded said it's their mom. And then all those questions below, it says, Which parent offers spiritual guidance among, again, practicing Christian teens? And whether it's praying together, teaching about the Bible, discussing God, teaching about God's forgiveness, teaching um, about faith and setting an example, again, moms win. Now, I don't say that so that you can now give the old elbow to the one sitting next to you or just remind all of you again of how wonderful you are. We know that already. We do. It just seems moms have taken their roles just a little bit more seriously than dads. Not in every case. But, you know, we have been telling the God story and modeling for our kids what God looks like. And it's critical, especially in the home. We as a church are partnering with you parents and telling the story of God. We have been focusing on Jesus the last few weeks. He burst on the scene in the most unusual way. We call that Christmas. But he continues, even though born, well, over 2,000 years ago, to make an impact on each one of us. You see, Christ's life and his words have changed it all. This humble rabbi elevated children and women in a culture that basically treated children and women as Dixie Cups, kind of throwaway. He modeled for us how to live the connected life, how to talk with God the Father, how to make an impact, how to love others that don't love you back, how to forgive those that don't deserve forgiving. He died in our place so that we might experience both abundant and eternal life. I actually can't wait to share his words with you this morning. 
Our master teacher today has an unbelievable lesson for us. So let's pray and then open up the word. Father, we come before you again recognizing we are so blessed. We are graced. We get to come boldly into your throne room because of the grace you have given to us, because Christ shed his blood and the curtain has been ripped apart. So we thank you, the creator, the God of all gods. We can have a personal relationship with you. We thank you. We thank you for the blessings in our life. We thank you that we will be able to open up your word today, your amazing and powerful word. We ask you, Lord, that you would use it to convict us and to teach us and to encourage us. In Jesus' name, amen. God has given parents the primary role of helping their kids see God clearly. Now, some of you, if you really hear that statement, you say, whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, God is one thing. God really looks a little bit different than I do. But but really, what God has done is given all of us the opportunity to walk with him. And he changes us from the inside out. And we begin to, no matter where we go, reflect him to others. And as we reflect him to others, other people, well, they're able to literally see how loving God is and how gracious God is. Well, godly parents reflect God well to their children. And parents are the best ones to teach children to love and to fear and to obey God. Teaching children has long been a focus of our Heavenly Father. Way back in the book of uh, December, oh my word. Way back in the book of Deuteronomy. December, Deuteronomy, yeah, yeah. It's the fifth book in the Bible. It's way back in the beginning of the Bible, and we covered that months and months ago. But Deuteronomy is Moses' last sermon. It's his last words to a group of people that he, well, spent the last 40 years with. And they were critical words. And in Deuteronomy 31, starting at verse 12, at the end of a gigantic celebration, Moses says this to the children of Israel. He says, call everybody together. Men and women and children, the foreigners living in your towns, so that they may hear this book of instruction and learn to fear the Lord your God and carefully obey all the terms of these instructions. Do this so that your children who have not known these instructions will hear them and will learn to fear the Lord your God. Do this as long as you live in the land you're crossing the Jordan to occupy. He set them up. You're going to a promised land. We just got through celebrating how wonderful our God is. But I want to remind you, well, gather the people together often. May they read the scriptures and may they learn to fear me. And you will have some unbelievable experiences. So God's word is critical for all kids, but it's really critical for all of us. 
We ended last week, if you're with us, focusing on Jesus' words, especially on the Sermon of the Mount. But at the very last part of the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 7, he gives an illustration. After he shared with everyone, he says, you know what, my kingdom looks really different. You respond to people differently. You talk to people differently. And when you live underneath my reign and rule, God says, your lives will be different than those neighbors around you. But one of the things he said at the very end, he says, what I want you to understand is that there's something really, really critical, and that is my word, God's word. I want you to listen to it. Because if you listen to it, you're like a wise builder. A builder that doesn't have a faulty foundation, but a builder that literally builds on a good foundation. So that when the storms of life come, and things are a little rocky, your house stands. That's pretty cool. But you know what? If you don't listen to my words, Jesus said, if you don't pick them up, well, you know what? Storms are going to come. And when the storms come, your house is going to fall. And so he ended this, this very famous sermon and just talked about the wisdom of building your life on God's Word. Well, this week, I'd like you to turn your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 4. And we're going to spend a lot of time basically in the fourth chapter of Mark it's also found this same story in Matthew 13 and in Luke 8. Remember, there are four Gospels, four biographies of Jesus. We're going to focus on Matthew. Jesus loved to tell stories. We call them parables. They aren't just fables, but they're stories that literally have kingdom meanings. Most consider the parable that I'm going to focus on today as Christ's foundational lesson to his followers. Let me put it a different way. This was the most important parable for them to understand. It kind of opened the doors for all the other parables. So I've asked Linda to read for us. We're going to start in Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 1. And if you don't have your Bibles, you can look up at the screen and follow along. he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted grew and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as he had planted. Then he said, 
Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Now, many of you have probably heard this story before, the parable of the sower, or I would like to call it the parable of the soils. But Jesus starts off and he says, listen to this story. This is a really, really important story. It's planting season, so a farmer goes out to sow. Didn't have tractors then, basically had the burlap burlap bag, stuck its hand, you know, in that bag and took the seed and flung it. All right? It was a common sight. Happened all over. This is how farmers planted their seed. Well, the scattered seed landed on four different soils with four different results. Again, all very common, not really unusual. Now, like I said, you've heard this story. Jesus already has a little bit of a reputation. This is halfway through his second year of ministry. He gathers everybody around and says, Hey, there's a farmer. Listen to this story. It's awesome. And he tells you about some guy throwing seed. For the very first time you've heard this. (laughs) What's he talking about? (laughs) Why? Jesus said, I came here to listen to this unbelievable teaching. And you talk about a farmer. Well, the scriptures tell us later on, when the disciples were alone with Jesus, they asked literally Jesus about it. And again, I'm not sure why they didn't get it. They had already spent some time with Jesus. He, well, they all knew he would be talking about the kingdom in some ways, but they seemed, well, not to get it at all. Maybe it was fear of misunderstanding or ignorance or preoccupation, or maybe just some of the disciples were dense. I'm not sure. But what I'd like to do is share with you the explanation that Jesus gave. Sharon, can you read that for us? It's in Mark chapter 4, verses 14 through 20. The farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things, so no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even a 100 times as much as he had been planted as had been planted. There's a little bit of debate on what the purpose of this parable really is. But again, I believe it's all about the soils. It's all about as the word of God is sown, as it's heard, as it's read, as it's proclaimed, everybody responds differently. 
The seeds that land on hardened pathway are stolen away quickly by Satan. Some seeds land on shallow soil and they sprout up quickly. The seed's unable to establish a root system, so it literally dies very quickly. Some seeds land on soil filled with weeds or thorns or shallow soil. It's, it's probably best understood that there's a thin layer of good soil, but there's bedrock underneath it. So you've got an inch or two of really quality stuff, and then it's just concrete. And then the last, the seeds that land on good soil produce a great harvest. The crux of the parable, it's one point, it's well said over and over and over again, is receiving the word of God naturally produces fruit and an abundant harvest. That's it. So when the word goes out and you receive it, there's one of four ways that we receive it. Say, Rick, again, I've heard this back in Sunday school. I I, I know how this whole thing goes. But let me warn you, this is not a children's story. It's a story for each one of us. Because so many of us hear God's word, and sometimes, even though it might be familiar, we don't respond like the fourth soil. So let's just look at these. First of all, there's the hardened soil, and I'm just going to call it the hardened heart. This person, when God's word is given out, doesn't listen, doesn't care, doesn't want it around. The enemy literally swoops in and takes it away because the enemy knows of its power. You see, if a seed sits there long enough, and you've all seen it, the cracks in your sidewalk, the cracks in your driveways, you know, you say like, well, no problem. But all of a sudden, a seed has a way to eventually get into a right spot and germinate. So in this case, God's word is given out, and the enemy is so very, very active, knows how powerful God's word is, knows that it changes lives, knows that it is the truth. Whenever God's word is given, and there's a hard heart, it might be because there's a lack of relationship with God. Maybe someone who's never come to faith, someone who's never heard the amazing gospel of grace that can change their lives. Or maybe you've been walking with God for 50 years and you're tired or your priorities have been different or you're kind of self-absorbed at the time or literally you don't fear God. You're kind of casual when God's word is read or when God's word is given. Well, the enemy knows that if you keep hearing God's word, it's going to make a change. So he swoops in, takes it away. Then there's a shallow heart. This is pretty deceiving. This, This heart receives God's word, the seed, and loves the truth. And growth begins to happen right away. 
The seed lands on this actually fertile ground. It starts growing and thriving, but only for a little bit. A little bit. The way I look at it is, then life happens. The scriptures say, troubles come. Every one of us have troubles. Every one of us recognize that that life isn't always as easy as we had hoped. How come when you bring your car in for an oil change, the mechanic calls you and says, I've got good news and bad news. Okay, what's that? Good news, your oil's changed. Thank you. That's what I brought it in for. But let me tell you about your tires and your brakes, and, and the list goes on. Really, for about $1,200, bucks, we will get you out the door. <laughs> okay, that is a... That's life, isn't it? And it multiplies. And you sit there and go, hey, wait a minute. I don't like that news. God, I thought if I'm going to follow you, I don't have those $1,200 bills. Hey, if I follow you, how come my husband hasn't been faithful? Hey, if I follow you, how come my kids aren't listening to God the way that I had hoped? See, I'm chucking this whole faith thing. (laughs) I don't need you, God. I tell you, you know, your word, boom, I don't need it. Or maybe just persecution comes. You, You get a little bit of, well, grief because you're a God follower. Because you do read the Bible. Because you're honest and have integrity. Because you forgive people that don't deserve it. Like, what's the deal? Don't you understand? You need to have revenge. You say, you know what? I don't want this either. And the scriptures say that the plant withers without roots. There's no fruit, ultimately death. So we've got one group that well, doesn't even listen at all to God's word. We get another group that gets really excited for a little bit. But eventually he says, no, God, I, you're, you're just really not the God that I had hoped. Then there's the deceived heart, is what I would say. This one, again, grows next to the weeds. And it looks good. It's green, It looks healthy. It's robust. But there's no fruit. Why? Well, because the seed literally shares the nutrients with the weeds. And the weeds rob the seeds of what it needs to bear fruit. Now, Jesus went a little deeper in this soil, and he says, hey, what I like to do is describe to you at least three things that are like the weeds. Three things that will rob you. Three things that will steal away a godly response. He says the first thing is worry. Worry. Wow, worry is normal. But he's just got to tell you it's different for those who are following the king who are living in the kingdom, say, hey, wait a minute, Rick, I don't worry. I just am concerned about things. Okay, concern, worry. Uh, 
All those kind of fit in there. But the truth is, if you know the Lord, if He is your King, and you open up Psalms, well, chapter 23 in particular, and all of a sudden you say, the Lord is my shepherd. He will give me all that I need. He's going to make sure I have great grass. I'm going to be having my thirst quenched. He's going to lead me along right paths. And even when I go through the darkest valleys, I won't be afraid. I won't. Because he is with me. He is with me. Wow. So, so worry really is something that the Scripture calls sin. In Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul also gives us a little bit of an antidote. Those who are God followers. He says, don't worry about anything. Just pray about it. Trust God with it. Oh, Rick, I, I, I've been going for job interviews for the last three months. I am running out of my unemployment. I, I don't know what's going to happen. God says this. When you're struggling, when you have something to worry about, you talk to me. Leave it in my hands. Wow. Worry is sin. It's our lack of faith, and that can rob us of the nutrients we need to bear fruit. Well, the next thing he talks about is the lure of wealth. You know, it's the idea of this. If I just had a little bit more, I'd be fine. You know, I'm doing okay right now, but I just got to get over a hump. If I could just make X amount more, everything would be great. You know what the truth is? The multi-millionaires, if you ask them, do they have enough money? And they would give you the same answer. If I just had a little more, say, well, Rick, I'd like to try it. That's all. Give me a couple million and let me try this and just see if I can exist on this. You know? Well, the Bible actually talks a lot about money. You may not even want to hear this because we're talking about receiving God's word and listening to God's word. But the scriptures talk more about money than faith and prayer combined. Whoa. Jesus, if we take all of his recorded words, all of them, and we kind of categorize them. He speaks 15% of the time, more than anything else, about money. Literally, Jesus said in Matthew 6, and tried to help us understand this on his Sermon on the Mount, he says, you can't have two masters. You can't really have me as a master or me as a king and money as a king. I'm just letting you know, all right? And you say, well, well, you know, money doesn't master me. Well, if you have the courage, I think you can find out who your master is by looking at either your checkbook or your calendar. And I'm not saying that everything's going to line up perfectly, but I think it'll become really, really clear on what is most important to you. That's all. 
And what Jesus is literally saying, that if we have a tendency to be self-absorbent, focus on wealth, focus on money, it's going to strangle us when we hear God's word. We will not bear fruit. We won't. In fact, Paul the Apostle writes to Timothy, one of his pastor friends, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, and he says this, The love of money is the root of all evils. Most of your translations will say, is the root of evil. But John Piper, one of my favorite preachers, he goes to great length to be able to talk a little bit about that Greek the formation of it. And his perspective is that it's the love of money is the foundation for everything that is evil on this planet. Wow. And then the last thing Jesus says is the desire for things. So he, he's talking about this, this soil... And, and it starts growing the seed, and it grows up with the weeds, but there's no fruit because there's worry involved and there's lure of wealth, but there's also the desire for things. Let me just say this. Stuff strangles us. And we often think, even if you have a modest income and a modest home and a modest lifestyle, we think we don't have much stuff. Well, let me just share with you this. There comes a time when you want to downsize. All right? And literally all that says is, I have focused on so much stuff that I need to get rid of all the stuff that's not important and just focus on the stuff that is. You can acquire stuff without being rich. And let me just say this, is that stuff always distracts us. Say, so, well, you know what? If I could just get another car, it will distract you. If I could just get a home with a bigger lawn, it will distract you. If I could, if I could, and you just... What it does is distract us. In fact, our churches today are filled with folks that look really green but bear no fruit because they're consumed with worry and wealth and stuff. But then there's a receptive heart. This soft, prepared soil receives the word the soil accepts or obeys the word. We're reminded again, the Apostle Paul teaches us in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says the scriptures, all scriptures are inspired. And they give us an opportunity to learn what truth is. We, it convicts us, it corrects us, it guides us on right paths. You see, listening to the word brings joy. And gives us grateful hearts. But we have to listen to the word. We have to, well, make sure that we have the word as a priority. Oftentimes, we want to put ourselves in this category. 
And we often say, you know what, Rick, I, I, I'm one of those, you know, I'm, I'm part of that soil. I, I just really listen to the Word. But the truth is you listen to the Word once a week on a Sunday. I say, oh, well, that's good, right? It is good. It is good. But what God's trying to say is that this is unbelievable. This is something that's so critical for life. That we must understand this. We must learn from it. And when it's taught or when it's read, we receive it. In Psalm 1, the psalmist says this, Oh, the joys, the amazing joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight. The joy of those people who delight in the law of the Lord. They meditate on it day and night. This is what God says. They're like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in everything they do. If you were told as a 16-year-old, hey, I've got some advice. It comes from the Creator. And the Creator says this, just so you know. If you delight in his word, you make this a priority, you listen to it when it's taught, you read it. Oh, let me tell you what's going to happen. Okay, you will be like a tree. Thank you for that advice. No, 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 a tree. It's always green. Bears fruit at the right time. It never withers. It is abundant life. The benefits are huge. One of the things, every once in a while, when I get really busy, and I just feel like, oh, oh God, may, maybe I can just delay in reading your word or listening to your word. One of the things that red flags for me is, I say, I need to read Psalm 119. Now, for some of you, again, Psalm 119, that's, uh, I'm just letting you know, if you like are trying to skip devotions that day, you know, or you're trying to uh, perhaps save some time, Psalm 19 is not the one to do. But I'm telling you, over and over in Psalm 19, the psalmist pours out his heart and says, do you understand how wonderful God's word is? It gives you steps. It brings you joy. It is unbelievable. And after I read it, I am reminded, oh, this message was foundational, was foundational for Jesus. What he is saying is, the wise receive the word. They listen and they obey. The word naturally and normally produces fruit. It gives you a reason to get up. You reflect God to others as he changes you. But I have to ask, do you really understand the importance of Jesus' words today? Do you? Nice story, nice reminders. But he said this, if you have ears, 
please listen. It's not a casual, hey, if you, no. It's, hey, guys, you all have ears. It's not like you don't have ears. Would you please listen? I have given you unbelievable advice. God's word is going to go out. And there's times when people are not going to receive it. I hope that's not you. There's times when people will just receive it and, and be all excited and, well, won't last. And there'll be th- times where, where, no, the seed does grow. This is all exciting, but no fruit. Because there's things that suck the life out of you in me. God's life, His life-giving word goes out to everyone. The same word. It's so amazing to me as we open up text in small groups or in individuals or connecting with having different meetings. It'll say, hey, what did God teach you in this passage? And God teaches us different things. His Holy Spirit just is so abundant. I guess what Jesus is saying is, please don't take this lightly. Please. It was critical when Jesus told this, and it is critical today. You know, today is Mother's Day, and we're focusing on parents or moms. And I know that as I chat with parents or moms, or even just as I think of my own kids and grandkids, I want what's best for my kids. You all want that. You want your kids to listen at times because you know better. It's not an arrogant thing. Sometimes it's just like they're four years old, the street is a little bit away, cars are really heavy, and they really mess up four-year-olds' lives. You know that. But the street looks really fun. And cars don't look that big. So your four-year-old will want to go into the street. They will. But because you are wise, because you want what's best for them, because you don't want to go to the hospital with them, because you don't want to have a funeral, you beg them, you bribe them, you punish them. Don't go in the street. Now let me just put it this way. You would love to always protect your kids because the world is a dangerous place. But even we as parents, as we get older, decisions are a little harder than just going in the street. Am I right? You know, if life was just so easy, don't go in the street. That'd be cool. But all of a sudden, as you get older, it's job decisions, it's relationships, it's majors, it's what to do with your life. And things get a whole lot harder. And parents who walk with God, they're not perfect They're not all-knowing, and they're not all-wise. But let me just say this. God is. That's what's cool. So yes, you want your kids to listen to you, but more, you want your kids to listen to God. Because God wants what's best for His kids. 
He wants them to thrive, which just simply means he wants them to know God. Because a life with God is amazing. I don't know if you'll hear that in many other places other than a church. I get it. But as you spend time with our Lord, as you recognize who He is, as He builds you up, as He encourages you, there is no better friend. There's no one I would rather spend time with than my heavenly Father. God's ways are countercultural. We read this. But God's ways are best. He is smarter. He knows the future. He understands the ramifications of life. Oh, he just says, I have put this, my love letter. Would you pick it up? Would you read it? Would you listen to me? Would you obey it? This will be unbelievable for you. Don't be like the other three soils. Parents, friends, pastors, they all team up with the same message. And I'm going to close with this text. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. I had a passage from Deuteronomy 31 earlier. But here it's the same message, only it's the beginning of the message. And this is what Moses writes. This is so good. And now Israel, all of my people that I've spent the last 40 years with, what does the Lord your God require of you? You know what? Sometime I'm dense. This is a good verse for dense. All right? Okay, what does God want? (laughs) He requires only that you fear the Lord your God and you live in a way that pleases Him and love Him and serve Him with all of your heart and soul. And you must always obey the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today. And, And if it would stop right there, that still would be good, wouldn't it? It would. But here's the kicker. Do all this because I'm a, well, I'm, I'm a creepy God. Do all this because I love to make rules. Do all this because I want you to be bored. Do all this because you know what? You got nothing else to do, so you might as well do it. Do all of this. Do all of this for your own good. How many times did we hear that growing up? This is for your own good. Well, it doesn't look like it's for my own good. It doesn't look good at all, and sometimes it doesn't. But let me share with you. God says this, I love you. My word is going to go out. You're going to have a choice every single day in what you do with it. I'm saying receive it. I'm saying listen to it. I'm saying obey it. No matter what the culture says, no matter what anyone says. Because it's for your own good. You know, today's story, what was it about? We tried to wrap it up. The key to abundant living 
with eternal benefits is learning and obeying God's word is for our own good. I'm going to pray. But right after I pray, we are going to continue our praise with sort of a a prayer. And I would ask those that know the Lord, those that want to even recommit their lives, even this day, say, I need to follow you, Lord. I, I haven't been doing a good job. I haven't even been picking this thing up. But I want to follow you. I want to listen to you. I haven't been doing too well. Maybe you want to meet together. Maybe you want to... uh, We've got folks that would love to help you on your journey or put you in a group with a group of people that would help you on your journey so that you might be able to understand God's Word maybe a little better. There might be some accountability. But the truth is you'll never, ever, 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 ever regret Receiving, opening, and listening. You won't. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your patience with us. Lord, we are so arrogant at times. We are so self-focused at times, thinking that we do know more than you. We acted like that when we were 12 and 13 with our parents. But God, you have always proved faithful. You have never let us down. Your word is powerful. And it is life-giving. Would we make it a priority? And when we hear it or when we read it, Would we obey, apply? Oh God, would we have a church that is filled with people who are like the good soil, who listen and obey and bear fruit for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.